come to you and we just pray that you would allow us to receive what you have for us. We know it is not an accident that we're here. And we know that you have a work to do. You have a word for us through Tyler. So, Lord, we pray that you would use him, empower him, um, and quicken our minds and our hearts to be receptive uh, to what you have. Because we know that your word is alive. uh, It is powerful. It is active and moving. And so we just pray that it would move through us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. Well, hey, welcome to Renovate. Uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, my name's Tyler. I am one of the uh, uh, youth pastor or young adult pastors here at Christ Chapel, and uh, it's a privilege to have you here at Renovate. And once again, if you're a guest, I want to thank you for joining us. Um, be sure if you want to get plugged in and connected to what we're doing here in Life Stage 2 that you grab one of those connect cards in the front and uh, we'll reach out to you and get you plugged in. But uh, glad to be here with you guys tonight. We're in week two of a series that we're going to take all the way through the spring semester. Um, we're going through the Gospel of Luke. And Ben kicked us off last week and kind of the theme for this whole sermon series is we're going to look at the person and work of Jesus Christ and His mission. That's what we're going to do, and there's so many themes throughout this book that I'm excited to touch on, and uh, so we're going to just walk through it. Last week, Ben looked at the first four verses of chapter one, and uh, he did an amazing job, and so I've been given the task of walking through the next two chapters of chapter one and chapter two. So the big thing that Luke's trying to do in this book, and Luke was a physician, and Luke was an amazing Historian, the big thing he's trying to do in this book is he's trying to give us certainty of the faith that we've been taught. He was writing to Theophilus and he's writing to all the readers of his book that say that they follow Christ. And he wants us to have certainty in the things that we say we believe. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, Luke chapter 1. If you don't, we have Bibles right under your seat. And I think 855 is the page number. Um, for Luke chapter 1, so you can turn in your Bibles. This is two chapters, so we're going to go through over a hundred verses. I'm not going to read all of these verses, or we'd be here for 30 minutes just listening to me read. And so I'm going to summarize some things, I'm going to paraphrase some things, and we're just going to walk through that. But I want you to follow along with me in your Bible if you have one with you. Okay, so I've, I've done some, some stupid things in my life. Um, I've done a lot of stupid things in my life, and I heard some amens back there. I'm going to find out who you are, and I'm going to hunt you down. Um, All of you guys have done some stupid things, but I've done some real dumb things, and I can think of one in particular. Um, At one point in my life, I tried to swim across the Mississippi River after a rainstorm. Okay, this was in 2003. I was 23 years old, not, not 13 years old. I was a life stage two person. I was in my 20s. And I was playing baseball with the Peoria Chiefs. And it's a farm team for the St. Louis Cardinals. And we were playing the Quad Cities River Bandits. Uh, Pretty cool name. I love minor league baseball names. This was the River Bandits. And the stadium was right by the Mississippi River. And there was a bridge going over the river right by the stadium. Beautiful little scenery there. But it had been a big rainstorm. And we were all suited up to play. And come to find out, the game just couldn't happen. The rain wasn't stopping. And uh, the field was just too wet. And so we were all hyped up for the game. We're in our uniforms and we had a little spare time. So we went down to the mighty Mississippi and we were just kind of looking at it. 
And there was a genius on the team who thought, hey, why don't we try to swim out and touch one of those pillars that's holding up the bridge about 50 to 70 yards out there? And I'm, I'm pretty confident in my swimming abilities. I swam when I was a kid. I love swimming. And I thought I'm in the prime of my life. I was one of the guys who raised my hand and said, I'll go out there and swim and touch that pillar. And there was about three or four other guys. And um, already, red flags should have gone up in my mind that I'm an idiot. But they didn't. So we, we, we took off our uniforms. We just had our sliding shorts and T-shirt on. And we started walking into the Mississippi River after a heavy rain. I mean, just picture a brown, giant mass of water that's kind of churning. And we're rolling out there and the other guys on the team are thinking, holy cow, they're laughing and they're like, no way. We're walking out, it's like ankles, knees, thighs, waist. We're slowing down, we can feel the power. And then we get up to the chest and at that moment, all of a sudden my, my brain started functioning again. And I immediately thought, this is the stupidest thing I've done in my life. This is crazy. And apparently they had the same thought at the exact same time. Because when we felt that, that current under the water, we ran back to the side of the shore. And everyone was cracking up and we were laughing. And, and it was just a stupid idea. And I'm lucky to be alive today. And I was 23 years old. But I had faith that I could go out into this giant Mississippi River. And that was crazy. That was ridiculous to think that I could do that. And here's the reason I'm telling this story. There are a lot of claims that Christianity makes that are crazy and ridiculous to some people. Maybe some people in this room think some of the things that we believe as Christians are just outrageous and crazy. And so we're going to look in these first two chapters about the birth of Jesus Christ. Born of a virgin, the Son of God, God came in the flesh. That is crazy to some people. But there is a faith that I want to talk about tonight that will walk into those claims of Christianity and experience the transformation that comes with that. And so there's just four things I want to talk about from these two chapters. Four um, elements of this rock-solid faith that people have that profess to walk with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to walk through them right now and then we'll go into more detail. But number one, it's a faith that continually receives the gospel. Not a one-time thing. It's a faith that continually believes and receives the gospel. And number two, it's a faith that is submissive to the will of God. Completely submissive to the will of God. Number three, it's a faith that believes that nothing is impossible with God. I want to say that again. It's a faith that believes that there's absolutely nothing that's going on in your life that is impossible for God. And number four, it's a faith that leads to action. And I believe as we look at these characters in this, this very well-known narrative in chapters 1 and 2 of Luke, we're going to see this faith displayed. So let's jump in. Number one, it's a faith that continually receives the gospel. So starting in verse 5, we see the story of the birth of John foretold. Okay, so Zacharias and Elizabeth are godly people, and the Bible right here in these verses says that they were blameless before the eyes of God, they were righteous. Zacharias was a priest, he was a godly man, he was a wise man, and it was his turn to go into the temple and burn incense before God. Very important task, very important man in the society, and all of a sudden, guess who shows up? An angel shows up. It had been 400 years since God had spoken to his people. 
400 years of silence. And all of a sudden, one day, this man goes into the temple and the angel Gabriel shows up to speak to him. And he tells him, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him John. And he's going to be the prophet who prepares the people for the coming Messiah. Sounds like you'd be pretty fired up, right? I mean, if I'm Zechariah, I've been waiting for this moment my whole life. Don't you think you'd be fired up and ready to go? How did Zechariah respond? Look in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. So he didn't respond with joy for this moment he'd been waiting for his whole life. He responded with unbelief. He couldn't believe that this good news of the gospel was here even though he'd been a godly man his whole life. And so Gabriel was like, listen, I'm, I don't know if you know who I am. I, I'm Gabriel, okay? I, I hang out with God in heaven, at his, right at his throne. He sent me here to talk to you. I, I live in the presence of God, and I'm telling you this, and you're not believing the words that I'm saying. And so he, he punished him, and he made him mute until John was born, and we're going to get to that part of the narrative in a minute. But... To really have this faith that can walk into these claims of Christianity, we have to continually believe the gospel. I gave my life to Christ when I was nine years old. And I remember the moment it was a crusade in downtown Fort Worth. And, and uh, I don't think we have those anymore. But it was one of those deals where a guy came in town and preached the gospel. And I was sitting at the very top rows of my family. And I was the, the one in my family who walked down to the bottom and gave my life to Christ. And my brothers were not happy because that's an extra 45 minutes there at the, uh, at the Coliseum. But God was speaking to me and I responded. And then guess what happened? For about the next 10 years of my life, zero growth. Zero, zero growth in my understanding of God and zero growth in my knowledge of the gospel. Ben said last week, the gospel is not the ABCs of the faith, it's the A to Z. And in my mind, I thought, okay, I got in and now I guess I've got to do a bunch of things to be right with God. And now it's my turn to do all this stuff. And the gospel is just to get you in the front door. And I'm telling you, some of you guys have made that same very decision. And it wasn't until I was about 19 or 20 that I finally woke up to the gospel anew and was like, wow, the gospel, Jesus came and took my sins and gave me his righteousness. I'm a new creation in Christ. And all of a sudden, that joy that I had when I was nine years old came back to me because I remembered the gospel. So where are you at with that? Do you continually preach the gospel to yourself? Do you continually wake up and think about all the great things that come with walking with Jesus Christ? Or is that just something that you believed when you were a kid and now you're moving on to bigger and better, more important things? I'm here to tell you guys, there is nothing bigger and better than the gospel. It gets us into the faith. It maintains us in the faith. It is the beginning and the end and the middle of our faith. The gospel. And some of you need to reintroduce yourself to the good news because you're walking with a lack of joy because you forgot the gospel, just like Zacharias did. And so that's the first thing. A faith that walks into these bold, crazy claims of Christianity is a faith that continually remembers who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And number two, it is a faith that is submissive to the will of God. And man, I love this passage. It's a faith that's submissive to the will of God. And it's going to be starting in verse 26 if you want to turn there. But I want to show you a picture of my youngest daughter, Emily. It's going to pop up here in a second. That's 
my two-year-old Emily, um, she's a little pistol, and she's also got a pretty legit fro. Um, that's my favorite part. I want to put a pick in that fro, but my wife would never let me do that. I just want her to be gangster for a day and take other kids' sippy cups and just, just be a straight baller in Sunday school. But that's not going to happen. But I'm not bringing up Emily because she's like this perfect example of submission. I'm bringing up Emily because she's tough. She's real tough. My oldest daughter, Rachel, who's somewhere up here in the balcony, um, she was different. She's four years old, and it was kind of like, hey, Rachel, you, you know, you need to step away from that. And what does Rachel do? She, she actually does it. I mean, it was, it was pretty cool, our first baby. But Emily, if I said, like, step away from that music stand, she'd be like, okay. <laughs> step away from this music stand? Don't touch that music stand. All right. And that grin on her face probably is there at that moment. And she looks me in the eye and she just goes, boom, touches it. <laughs> boom, touches it. And I'm like, I've, I've got to discipline her and I've got to bring her over here. It's like in her mind, when I tell her to do something, it translates it as the opposite. She, she doesn't have that natural submission. And I think for a lot of us in, in, in our faith, God asks us to do certain things, but our default mode is to go the opposite direction. To go the opposite direction. And so Mary in this narrative... It's amazing. Guess who shows up at Mary's door? The angel Gabriel. And so the, the first part was this prophecy that, that um, John is going to be born. He's going to prepare the way. Now this section, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Guess what, Mary? You're going to have a baby and remain a virgin. And you're not only going to have a baby and, and, and remain a virgin and stay pure for your marriage with Joseph. You're going to have a baby and he's going to be the son of God. You know that promised Messiah that that you've heard about your whole life? You're going to give birth to the promised Messiah. Now, what do you think are the ramifications of Mary, who was probably 14 years old at the time, which it was common in that time period to be married at that time and uh, not abnormal. But what are the ramifications for a woman in first century Judaism who uh, has birth outside of marriage? They They die. If the husband finds out, they die. And this angel is telling her, I want you to follow through with this plan and you're going to name him Jesus. And how did she respond to that? Can you imagine in her little teenage mind all the things that were going on? And here's how she responds. This is great. It says in verse 38, if you're following along, and here's how Mary responds. What a mature, godly young woman that that we should all emulate. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She said, let it be to me according to your word. I don't know what that is going to entail for me. I don't, I don't have a clue what that's going to look like. This is a supernatural event that's going to take place in my life that I have no paradigm to understand. But I believe the word that is being said to me because I believe my God who's in heaven looking over me. And I will do according to your will. Let it be done to me according to your will. Pure submission to the plan of God. That's faith that walks out into the bold, crazy claims of Christianity. Let it be to me according to your will, O Lord. What is that thing in your life? And guess what? I know for all of us there is that thing. What is there in your life that God's saying, I want you to trust me and submit to my will for your life? 
We just heard about the Belize trip a little while ago last week. And I heard stories of people who were like, I don't want to go on the trip. I don't have the money to go on the trip. I don't have the time. I don't know these people. I I really don't feel like I need. I mean, they thought of everything, but they took a step forward into the will of God. And I guarantee if you pull them aside tonight and say, was that the right decision? They'd say 100%. Because they were right in the middle of the will of God. What is that for you tonight? I think some of you are in relationships that are so toxic that that you've seen the red flags all the way back at day one, but this person thought you were cute. This person showed you attention and you've been lonely and you've, you've just looked past all the red flags because this person seems like they love you and you know deep down in your heart because you love Jesus that He's telling you this is not the right person. What are you going to do in those moments? Some of you, it's maybe a career where God's telling you, I want you to move out of this career because of the the time restraints and because it's killing you. It's stressing you out. And I want to create more margin in your life so that you can do more work in my kingdom or so that you can be more plugged in in your local church or maybe move to another job where you're going to be. It's going to align more with your passions, even though it pays less. Faith walks right into that and says, Lord, I believe who you are, I trust in who you are, and I'm going to step out because of that into the unknown of this radical, crazy faith that we profess. So it could be getting out of a relationship. It could be getting into a relationship. You're hesitating because you have your own personal wants. I want to make sure I have enough money in the bank. I want to make sure that I've got all my ducks in a row. And and until that, you know, I'm going to put off marriage and I'm going to put myself in compromising Uh, temptations week in and week out sexually because I want to make sure I have enough money in the bank. When you, you feel deep down that God's saying, move forward and trust in me, I'll provide for you financially. What is that one thing that God's telling you right now? Just take a step out in faith and trust me, even though it seems completely outrageous. Could be lifestyle changes. It could be discipline changes on your daily, weekly schedule. It could be the most minor thing, but because of our sinful nature, we want to fight against it, just like my daughter, who just there's something in her that wants to do the opposite of what I'm telling her to do because she doesn't trust me and have faith in me. So this kind of faith I'm talking about, it continually receives the gospel with joy. It's submissive to the will of God. And number three, it's a faith that believes, and I love this, it's a faith that believes that there is nothing that is impossible with God. Nothing. That story I was telling you about with Mary, where out of the blue this angel shows up and rocks her world, and she responds, let it be to me according to your word. What, is, what, what does the angel say right before that in verse 37? Of chapter 1. Right before that. He says. For nothing will be impossible with God. He talks about Elizabeth and John. Are about to give birth. And Mary's thinking. Wait a minute. They're like 120 years old. They're going to have a baby. And then I'm going to have a baby. And I'm a virgin. What in the world is going on? Gabriel knows that. Luke knows that. He's writing this book. So that we can have certainty. In the faith that we profess. So he includes this little remark. From this awesome angel Gabriel. Who says. Let me remind you, there is nothing impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Let that sink in. Nothing 
is impossible with God. Nothing. One of my favorite testimonies I've ever heard in my life was from a guy named Nick Vujacek. Have you all heard of Nick Vujacek? I've never seen a testimony like this. He was born with no arms and no legs. So if you Google image Nick Vujacek, and I won't attempt to spell it, just put Nick V and it'll pop up. He was born with no legs and no arms in Australia. And he was obviously, his childhood was depressed and discouraged and At a moment of desperation, he gave his life to Jesus Christ and he began to build up this faith. And he began to, before that, think, I'll never get married. Obviously, I have no arms and legs. What girl is going to want to marry me? I'll never have a child. I'll never have a ministry. I'll never have a job. I'm just going to be a cripple that people are going to have to take care of my whole life. He had that mentality just going through his head. And then he met Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, he he had this hope that came back in. And all of a sudden, he said, wait a minute, why, why can't I get married? Why couldn't I have a child? Why couldn't I make a living for myself? And I kid you not, this guy is simply amazing. He travels around the world and he he speaks to schools. He speaks in churches. There's pictures of him surfboarding. I, I can't explain it. There's pictures of him jumping into the water and and being out on the soccer field, hitting it with his... The dude is simply amazing. And he's got this joy in his heart that you see clearly. He's got this charisma. He's married to a beautiful wife. They have a child. And and the guy goes around telling people, there is nothing that's impossible with God. Look at me. Look at me. And I think me being at the top of this list continually limit God in my life. And I think, well, God, you can never... I'll never get over this, this thing that I've been dealing with. Or I'll never get over this hump. Or I'll never be able to put out these, these hurts from my past. It'll never happen. Or I'll never just fill in the blank. But there's nothing impossible with God. And Mary was evidence of that. She gave birth to the Son of God. Because the Holy Spirit came upon her. And it is crazy. And it is for some of you, 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 it's so hard for you to understand and grasp and believe. And we, we won't ever fully understand it. But she walked in faith and she saw God work in amazing ways. There's nothing impossible with God. So what is that thing with you that you're not believing God for? Maybe for some of you, I think it might be that you think there is simply no way on earth that God could forgive me. Tyler, cool story. Um, this Nick guy, those were things that he was born with. He didn't have any control over. But let me tell you about the things that I had control over and that I did anyways. Let me tell you about the stupid things I've done that make just kind of dipping your toes in the Mississippi seem not a big deal. If you only understood my past, you would realize that, that this hope is not for me. But I'm telling you here tonight, guys, you're going to see this throughout the book of Luke. There is nothing impossible with God in your life. And I will, I will put my life on that. You have put God in a box. Your God is too small. The God that we served created all things that are in existence. He is the king and reigns over the whole universe. And he speaks things into existence. And he, he, he made Mary pregnant and she gave birth to the son of God. God took on human flesh and then he was resurrected from the dead and he performed miracles. And I've seen it throughout church history and I've seen it in people's lives today. There's someone in this audience tonight that I talked to before we came in here that is a walking miracle that there is nothing impossible with God. 
And if, if there's one thing you leave with tonight, what I want you to leave with, if there's nothing that's going on in your marriage for you young couples, in your dating lives for you who are dating, in your, your difficult home lives for you that are having friction with your, your family and your friends, there is nothing that's impossible with God. You can get through it and you can have a life that brings glory to God and that brings satisfaction to you. It might be victory over a personal sin. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you, there is nothing that's impossible for God. And one of the best ways to see that is going out into the darker parts of our community and talking with people who have nothing. That really tests whether you believe that. When you're talking to a homeless person who has been on crack for, for 20 years and their mind's all uh, fried... Can, can the gospel bring life to that person? My answer is absolutely. Because I believe that there's nothing impossible with God. Last thing. And I'll review these at the end. This kind of faith I'm talking about is a faith that leads to action. This is a faith that leads to action. James talks about It's a New Testament book. New, New Testament letter from James. He says, faith without works is dead. Let me tell you something, we're justified by faith alone, but Martin Luther says our faith is never alone. We're not justified by our works, but the faith that we profess should always be accompanied with works in our life. And we see it clearly in the birth of John and the birth of Jesus. In the birth of John, and y'all read back through this tonight, because I'm just having to, to tell you the story without reading it verse by verse, but the birth of John, you know, the angel said, you're going to name him John. And, and Zacharias was mute until the day John was born. And all their family was like, obviously, he's a boy. He's going to be named Zacharias Jr. You know, ZJ is going to, is, is going to be his name. And, and Elizabeth is like, no, we're going to name him John. And they're like, what? You're going to name him John? And everybody's like, that doesn't make any sense. This is what we do. And then Zacharias speaks up for the first time in a long time and says, yeah, we're naming him John. Okay, the reason they named him John is because God told them to name him John and they responded with faith and their faith led to these actions. And then you fast forward to Mary with Mary and Joseph and Matthew in the birth account. Joseph is told by an angel, uh, here's what's about to happen with Mary. She's about to get pregnant and it's not going to be with you and it's going to be the son of God and you're going to have to be you have to raise up the man who is God in the flesh. Good luck with that. Okay, and, and how did Joseph respond? He responded in faith. He, he didn't abandon Mary and, and bring her to the city council and have her stoned to death. He stayed with her and he was faithful to her and he walked through that with her because he responded in faith. And, if, and for many of you, uh, you know the story of Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament. If you don't, he was asked to sacrifice his only son that he had when he was advanced in years. And he's at the point where he's about to, about to sacrifice and then God intervenes and provides a substitutionary sacrifice in the place of his son Isaac. But Abraham's faith was displayed in his willingness to go that far. And my question to you guys tonight as we wrap this thing up is, what does your faith look like in your life? Is it a faith that you kind of keep to yourself and, yeah, I believe in Jesus and, yeah, I've said the prayer, but if I looked at your life, I really can't see the fruit of that? Like, can I see the fruit in your actions of the faith that you profess? I mean, if you really believe these things about who God is and what God's done, don't you think it would translate into to action? And guys, I'm not, I'm not talking down to you guys. I'm talking to myself as well. 
I, I get convicted all the time that my faith is not on display enough. And I'm a pastor. So I know how difficult it is when you're working 60, 70 hours a week and you've got relationships and family and all of that. But what I want to know is, is your faith being lived out actively? How are you going to put your faith to work? How is your life going to show people that you have a rock-solid faith in Jesus and His Word? Would I be able to see it by looking at your life? So, concluding comments. For believers, there's, there's three little verses in this, these two chapters that use this phrase. Treasure these things in your heart. Mary says it twice and then a group of people hear about this promised uh, Messiah and, and they say they treasured these things in their heart. And Mary treasured these things in her heart. It's chapter 1 verse 66 and chapter 2 verses 19 and 51 if you want to look that up. But as believers guys we've got to begin to treasure these wonderful things in our heart. We, we can't leave this in our brain Listen, I, I, I love to read. I've got an intellectual mindset. I love to think. I love to analyze. But if those things that I've learned don't translate into my heart and into my actions, I, there is nothing to emulate in my life. Knowledge doesn't get you anywhere if it's not translated into heart affection and action in your life. And so for believers, as you're reading your Bible every day and as you're having your Bible studies with your small groups and hearing the preaching, begin to treasure these things in your heart like Mary did. I mean, Mary, she remembered these things and treasured them so that when they started playing out in the life of her son, it gave her encouragement and hope. And for you non-believers, those of you who haven't taken this step of faith, this is good news for everybody. This story of the birth of the Son of God who came to earth to die for our sins and to take on... Um, take on our sin and give us his righteousness. This isn't just for the nation of Israel. And here's why I know that. There's, there's, there's dozens of verses, but here's one in a passage that's very rooted in, 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 in the Jewish tradition here. These are Jews in this, this narrative. But listen to, one, to what one of the Jews says. His name is Simeon. And he says this. It's in chapter 2, verse 25. So Jesus' parents brought Jesus to the temple... And it says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Godly man, loved, loved God, was waiting for Jesus to come, the promised Messiah, was waiting for that day. And look at this. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents of Jesus brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. They brought him to the temple to do the, the Old Testament sacrificial customs of the law. Here's what Simeon did. This is beautiful. I can visualize it. He picks up the baby Jesus. He took him up in his arms. Verse 28. And blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Jews only. Is that what it says? No. All of this up to this point was focused on the Jews. But this is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And for the glory to your people Israel. Okay guys. Here it is. And I, and I, I totally mean this. I really do. It doesn't matter where you're from. 
It doesn't matter what your past is. There is nothing from your past that can keep you from receiving and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is that Jesus came to pay for the penalty of your sins and the sins committed against you and to give you new life and hope. That invitation is for every single person in this room. And Simeon said this is a promise not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. And we're the Gentiles. If we're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, according to the way the Bible speaks. And so this offer is for you and me and everyone else in here. You have no excuse. I am laying out an invitation to put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your your sins and to be adopted into his family. And that moment when I walked out into the Mississippi and my faith was just not strong enough to go out into that craziness. If you, if you will believe and take those steps of faith out into the craziness of these claims of Christianity, our promise as a staff is that your life is going to change. Not just today, but throughout the rest of your life and into eternity. That's why I love the name of our, of our Wednesday night deal, Renovate. God is promising that if you put your faith in Jesus, He will begin an amazing work of renovation in your life. Are you ready to step out into those crazy waters of this thing that we call Christianity? I promise if you do, and all you have to do is put your faith in Him and believe, your life will never be the same. Let's pray together. Father God, I I thank You that You that you choose to use um, just inadequate uh, sinners like myself who didn't really enter the ministry until my mid-20s. Mid um, and, and you've chosen to, to use me to be a vessel to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that I get to stand before this group of people and offer them good news and I think as believers we forget that the thing that we profess and the life that we live and the person that we follow, it's all good. No matter the circumstances, nothing is impossible with you, Father. What an amazing thing to ponder and treasure in our hearts. And so I pray that this ministry would continue to be built on this, this attitude of faith, that we're going to be radical, that we're going to that we're, gonna, we're not going to limit God in our ministry and limit what God can do in your life and just be safe and, and have a good little neat little social club that, that stays away from the big bad world. I want to go make a difference because I know it's your strength that helps us. I, I'm comforted that it's not my strength. I don't have to worry about that. It's, it's your strength and you've called us to do that. And so I pray tonight that you would save some people that are here tonight. I believe that you're calling some people out of darkness into the light of salvation tonight. And I believe that you're restoring some believers that have lost sight of the gospel. And I praise you for that. Even through an inadequate vessel like myself. And so, Lord, we, we want to praise you. We want to stand and sing and raise our hands and lift our voices as one body in Christ. And make you look great from, from, from now until the end of this evening. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.